Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. For the next hour, Monterey College of Law's Dean Mitchell Winnick and law professor Stephen Wagner will discuss current legal events and public policy issues that are affecting our daily lives. They will not provide individual legal advice. If you have a specific legal problem, you're encouraged to contact a lawyer for legal assistance. If you do not have a lawyer, contact the local bar association or lawyer referral service in your community for recommendations. And now, here's Wagner and Winnick on the law. Good afternoon and welcome to this week of Wagner and Winnick on the Law. Stephen, how are you today? I'm well, Mitch. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, many times we talk about legal issues right out of the press, but today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to talk about an area of law that I'm pretty sure that you and I know almost nothing about. I might surprise you, actually. Oh, you might. Okay. I'm ready to be surprised because I should assume that you always know everything. Oh, that's good. So we're going to talk about equine law today. And equine law deals primarily with horses. So, So you knew that much at least, right? Well, well, you know what I knew? I knew that much, and I knew that a horse is considered a chattel or a tangible item so that the UCC code prov- provisions apply. How's that? Wow, that's pretty good. I got to say, was that's, that, pretty good? that was pretty good. You worked up chattel, you know, pulled that out of uh, you know, your law school career, right? Because you don't deal a lot yeah, with chattel right. in your day-to-day practice, do you? No, I don't. <laughs> well, I, can, I can't tell you that I know much about horse law or equine law. I did grow up riding horses, though, as listeners will know if they've followed this show. I'm from Texas originally, and I did not own a horse, but my best friend Randy did. And so I, I grew up riding Randy's horses around my area of Texas that I grew up. And when I was a kid, uh, when you were young, first learning to ride, both boys and girls did barrel racing. So I actually did barrel racing when I was a, a young rider. And, and Mitch, I'll surprise you with this one. I have a little experience on an English saddle in Ireland. I did some riding at a riding camp, and I went on a fox hunt. Ah, a how's, fox how's hunt? That? Wow, okay, yeah, okay. I don't, I don't have that. It's not on my resume, so how <laughs> A fox hunt. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think that'll probably come back up again from time to time, now that you've shared that with me. Yeah, I, I know we'll have a way to weave it in with our guest, because she's got tremendous experience in this area of law, so I'm looking forward to it. Well, that's great. Well, today we're going to have Kathleen Reagan as, as our special guest today. Kathleen is a former assistant district attorney for Plymouth County, Massachusetts. But most importantly to today's topic, Kathleen developed her experience growing up on her ranch in Missouri, breeding, raising, 
training and selling horses in a variety of disciplines and breeds, including, and, and just about everything here, thoroughbreds, quarter horses, Arabians, saddlebreds, and Tennessee walkers. Uh, she's actually teaching a course in equine law for Concord Law School, where she's a professor of law, and is also an adjunct professor at Albany Law School teaching equine law. She's a member, not too surprising, of the board of directors of the American College of Equine Attorneys. So Kathleen, welcome to our show today. Uh, thank you, Mitch. Glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. So my guess is that most people, and that probably includes most lawyers, do not realize that there's a special area called equine law. So tell us a little about that. We can see that's your background, but tell us how you actually got into that as a lawyer. Well, whenever I introduce the topic, usually somebody says, uh, oh, horses need lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I was gonna. Now Stephen was probably gonna raise that question. So you've taken his one main question out of the, yeah. the rotation today. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Kathleen. Hi, Stephen. Yeah. Um, so uh, another way to think about it is uh, I'm always the second lawyer in, uh, which means that. The, the the lawyer that first took the case got halfway into it and then realized they didn't know the first thing about it. And so then I get the call, right? Well, I, I, <laughs> I bet that is absolutely true. So tell us, I mean, people think about horse law and, and I'm not even sure what first comes to mind. In my mind, I guess the first thing I thought about was just buying and selling. And, and Stephen brought that up as well. It's a chattel. It's, there's, it's not just buying and settle, but selling, but sometimes it's buying and selling horses that are worth millions of dollars. Yeah, a good way to think about it is that um, that horses have been with uh, people for so long. You know, if you actually go back and look at the legal codes back at the time of William the Conqueror, there were legal codes specifically around some of the same issues that we deal with today, which is injury to horses, the rights of use for horses, buying and selling horses, and what happens when when a horse injures uh, a person or commits property damage. It's more or less the same issues today because the nature of the horse has not changed. Um, and so as a result, our traditional rules of law really have become bent and formed around the shape of the horse. So, for example, uh, certain definitions within the UCC. Uh, it's in the Uniform con- Commercial Code for our non-lawyers that are listening. That's right. Um, certain provisions within the UCC particularly, for example, the definition of a merchant, uh, have a horse-shaped print in it for horse cases only. And uh, that's just one example. Another example would be that you can structure a horse deal so that it is either uh, a form of use or a sale of title. And it's entirely dependent on how you write up the contract. And so, so, that's, so that's fascinating. Now, that's distinctly different than most contractual law. So a form of use versus a sale. So, so uh, just give me an example. What would a form of use be? Well, you see, what's going on today that is very topical is this notion that you can adopt a horse. 
right? Okay, right. <laughs> I, how many, I guess, right? How many uh, rescue organizations do you see that have so-called adoption contracts? Well, you know, that's, you know, it's interesting you brought that up because one of our, our guests from a couple weeks ago, Daniel Lamb, uh, has, he was talking to me during the breaks and his wife was going to pick up a, I think it was a mule or something, the wild, no, donkey, must have been a donkey because it was a part of the federal government's program where they had, were rescuing wild donkeys and then bringing them in and that she was actually buying it to be a companion for her horse. So I assume she was going through a rescue organization similar to what you just mentioned. That's right. And so these... So could it uh, fail in use? Could he fail to be... Let's say she bought it for the specific purpose of being a good friend to her horse and the horse doesn't like it. Can she take it back? <laughs> well, um, it depends. On the contract. I, I would say it would depend on the contract. But as you know, I mean, those of you that have bought land, Right. Right. Um, you can structure a contract in that is so restrictive that even though it's not phrased as uh, a, a title transfer, the restrictions on use uh, essentially make it uh, a sale um, and, or a lease as opposed to a sale. So, no, Kathleen, Stephen here, I wanted to ask a quick question about the merchant interpretation. My understanding yep. is that you would find a definition of merchant within the UCC body of law, and my understanding is that it's a person that deals regularly in the goods involved, right? That's correct. And then is there a special definition then for someone that uh, purports to be knowledgeable in the horse industry? Well, the issue would be goods of the kind, so an example would be uh, a person who has wild burrows on his property. Does he deal in goods of the kind of racehorses? Okay, actually, so then special provisions of the UCC code that deal with merchants might be triggered if, in fact, you've got a seller or a dealer that's directly involved in the sale of, let's say, hypothetically, a thoroughbred. Yes. Okay. All right. So that's, you know, that, it, it, we see there's some nuance here. We're coming up on our first break. And so when we come back, out, come back after this break, uh, we're going to talk a little more about this interesting area of equine law. Is uh, Kathleen equine or equine? I don't I want to get it right. I don't want to be an idiot. Here. Does it matter? Or does it matter <laughs> what coast I'm in? <laughs> I don't think it matters. Potato, potato, either way. Uh, I still say nay. Oh, 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 no, that's a that's an equine lawyer joke, right? Mitch, Mitch, I'll call it equine and you call it equine. That way we cater to a broad spectrum of our listening seems, audience. Seems fair enough. Well, let's take our first break and when we come back, we're talking with Kathleen Reagan and we're talking about the topic of equine law. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
Deciding to go to law school brings up questions like, can I afford it? Will I be prepared to take the leap and open my own office when I graduate? I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true with professors who are practicing attorneys and judges. They mentor our graduates. But don't take it from me. Hear what recent graduate Creighton Mandeville says. I wasn't crippled in debt coming out of Monterey College of Law. I came out of it with no debt. I was able to do some working during that time and some savings, so I exited law school with no debt. I did feel prepared coming out of law school. I started helping friends with the issues that came up for them, and Monterey College of Law has so many great faculties and things that there were resources for me. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000. That's 582-4000. Or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. That's montereylaw.edu. For 45 years, the Boys and Girls Clubs of Monterey County have been a vital part of our community. The club's mission is to inspire and empower the youth of Monterey County to realize their full potential to become responsible, healthy, productive, and successful citizens. As just one of the club's programs, more than 12,000 children and families have enjoyed safe after-school care at the Boys and Girls Club's Salinas Clubhouse. Boys and Girls Club of Monterey County is very excited to announce that Monterey College of Law is providing one full tuition law school scholarship each year to a former Boys and Girls Club participant. For more information about this exciting opportunity, contact President and CEO Donna Ferrero at dferrero at bgmc.org or call 831-757-4412. Beginning with the Continental Congress in 1774, America's national legislative bodies have kept records of their proceedings. Did you know that these records are available to you online for free? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. Congress.gov is the official website for the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. It is published by the Library of Congress and includes the public records of the U.S. Congress, the Government Publishing Office, and the Congressional Budget Office. Remember, members of Congress work for us, and if you want to see what they're doing, go to congress.gov and watch the actual sessions of Congress, or look up any law that's being proposed. That's congress.gov, C-O-N-G-R-E-S-S dot gov. Are you ready to start law school now? If you just graduated from college or just thinking of changing your career, now is the time to take that first step. Slow College of Law is accepting applications for May 2016. The San Luis Obispo College of Law is an accredited branch of the Monterey College of Law School, founded 43 years ago. You can get a law degree from an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo. Their highly esteemed faculty is comprised of local judges and lawyers. San Luis Obispo College of Law classes are held conveniently in the evenings, and the campus is conveniently located in downtown San Luis Obispo. Let the professionals show you how to make becoming a lawyer a reality. Make today the first step in changing your life. Attend an information session and get answers to your questions. Call Dean of Admission Wendy LaRevere at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org for more information. That's slowlaw.org.
Welcome back. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. This is Mitch Winnick, Dean and President of Monterey College of Law and San Luis Obispo College of Law. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Stephen Wagner, law professor and attorney. Stephen, we're talking today about equine law, and our guest is Kathleen Reagan, who's an expert in all aspects of equine law or horse law. And Kathleen, you were talking to us about things more related to contracts, but, but I understand as you, at the top of the show, you talked about there's, there's a lot of things related to personal injury that are unique to horse law as well, isn't there? Absolutely. Um, a number of states, most of the states, in fact, in the country have what's called an equine activity liability statute, which makes it almost impossible to sue uh, stables that provide horses for uh, tourists and folks to ride. California does not have such a statute, but it does have a robust description of inherent risk. So it, it, it's just as hard to sue a stable for uh, injuries related to uh, a horseback riding accident as it is anywhere in the country. And is that you know, Kathleen, Kathleen I want to expand a little bit on that one because that's interesting. You know, there's a, a fair amount of horse rental facilities along the California coast. Uh, I'm a former resident of San Mateo County, and our coast in San Mateo County had several riding stables. Um, in a situation where you rent or you hire a horse and you go out for a ride on the beach, I think that would have been sort of the routine. Um, are you discussing the issue of potential liability from a, a disclaimer standpoint or the the trend being that there's difficulty in pursuing any kind of legal action against somebody if you're injured? while voluntarily riding a horse. Is that the issue you're reading? Stephen, is there involuntary riding of horses? <laughs> no, no, voluntary. No, in, involuntary would be a big problem. We probably have some crimes involved there. <laughs> okay, but... I, the, I meant to say voluntary, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'll give you an example of a case which sort of describes the problem. Uh, this is actually a California case that involved a lawyer by the name of Guido and a stable, by, uh, stable owned by a guy by the name of Cooperman. And uh, Guido went on one of these rides that you were just describing about. Uh, this is a woman. Uh, and she fell off and injured herself. And so she went in and tried to sue the stable for, uh, uh, you know, her injuries. Um, she had signed a release, and the release was pretty broadly drafted, and she tried to get around that by saying that she didn't, she was told by the stable that it was unenforceable. That's how broad it was. The court said, well, <clears throat> that's ridiculous. You signed it, you own it. I'm paraphrasing here. They didn't actually, the court didn't actually say <laughs> that, but... <laughs> But, uh, but ultimately, and, the disclaimer the disclaimer trumped, I gather, right? Yeah, but even besides that, the court said, uh, apparently the, the woman tried to say that she didn't understand that being thrown off a horse was an inherent risk of horseback riding. Ah, so we're back to an assumption of risk or knowledgeable yeah. assumption of risk. Yeah, and this is what the court said on that issue. Um as to appellant's argument that the release was ineffective because Guido did not think that being thrown off the horse was an inherent risk of horseback riding, 
We are of the contrary view that it is one of the most obvious risks of that activity <laughs> and readily apparent to anyone about to climb on a horse. <laughs> Or, or probably in, anyone who's even watched riding a horse on television. <laughs> in, in, indeed, one only look at replays of Rodeo. Right. right? Buck, yeah, okay. So, Kathleen, and, is it, I'm thinking of history. Is it a wild animal? Is a horse uh, a well, wild animal? Yeah, funny you ask that question, too, in terms of California law. Um, there's a case which actually addressed this issue. Actually, in California, I don't think you call it a wild animal. You call it a, a mischievous animal, don't you? Uh, well, we have, well, common law, I think we borrowed from common law originally and used the wild animal terminology, but I think you're right. There's different phrases now statutorily to define it. Yeah, well, at any rate, so a wild animal would be like, you know, a mountain lion. And then there are domestic animals. But then there are animals like pit bulls, uh, for example, that if they uh, escape, they're liable to attack somebody. So, so they change status? They go from a domestic to a wild if they're in versus out? It, well, yeah. <laughs> it, no, they, the law categorizes them. Okay. Yeah, they do. And, they do. In the case of dogs, we have vicious dogs, pit bulls, prosecutorios, and certain dogs that are bred traditionally for fighting, maybe. Yep. So, at any rate, there's a case actually in San Mateo County, Seahorse Ranch versus... Oh, my God, Kathleen, that's the place I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you sure that case was Guido? That case might have been Wagner. She just didn't want to use oh. your name to embarrass you. <laughs> okay. Wait, before, before I move on to Seahorse Ranch, I have to... I didn't point out one really essential part to that previous case, and that was that Donna... Donna Guido was a lawyer, a practicing lawyer, and the oh. judge, you know, the court basically said... Nice try, but no, nice no try. cigar. <laughs> no cigar. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, at Seahorse Ranch, which uh, I, I'm not going to give you this case, Stephen, because if you read this case and if you were actually there, you, you, you're not going to be a happy man. Um, okay. But at any rate, the, uh, the court held that, that the horses that escaped onto the highway could not be found to be mischievous in the sense that a pit bull was because, uh, and I'm quoting from the case here, mischievous propensities of an animal are its tendencies to bite, kick, gore, etc., not its tendency to walk on a highway. Uh, so I assume the, the injury was like a car injury, a car wreck with the horses out on the road? Yeah, it was car versus horse. Right, not a good combination. Yep, right, no, that's not. <laughs> so, so we see that there's unique aspects related to contracts. Uh, there's unique personal injury aspects. Uh, I, I assume there must be uh, other more complex commercial issues well, particularly when you get into the area of racehorses. When, uh, all I know about that is if we watch things like the Belmont and the Kentucky Derby, you see this entire group of people who own a horse, own a share of a horse. So can a horse be a corporation or can be the asset of a corporation? Yes, and more to the point, the, a, horse, a horse can be owned via an agreement which qualifies as a security under the U.S. Securities Act. Wow! So you can own, you can literally own shares in a horse under that under that scenario. 
That's exactly right. And there was, especially in the 80s, there was just a raft of litigation around the security aspect of certain uh, of certain types of horse contracts. You now do have to be careful when you sign up on one of these deals. You know, if you go online and try to buy like a 5% of a racehorse. Kathleen, hold on to that 5% right. of a racehorse part. We're going to take another quick break and we're going to pick back up on that as soon as we get back. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the law. Today we're talking about equine law. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Applying to Monterey College of Law is not hard, and we have a financial plan and class schedule that is tailored to meet your needs. I'm Wendy LaRiviere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true without crippling you with debt on graduation day. I chose Monterey College of Law because I wanted to continue working during the day. I had children at home, and I wanted to be able to go to school at night where it wouldn't impact what my children needed from me. There really is not crippling debt that you face afterwards. Monterey College of Law has a payment plan which is manageable, and they work with you. The other huge benefit of Monterey College of Law is that the professors are judges and lawyers. By taking their classes, you really actually start networking. So I was very fortunate because I also ended up with a mentor. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000 or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. For decades, the students at Monterey College of Law have graduated and gone on to pass the bar and become successful attorneys. However, not everyone goes to Monterey College of Law to become an attorney. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. We also offer students our two-year Master of Legal Studies degree, which can enhance their chosen careers. I was working as a deputy coroner for San Mateo County as a death scene investigator, and I wanted a better idea of the legal issues that were involved in forensic investigations. Everything about Monterey College of Law was accommodating to the uh, course of study I was trying to find. I graduated from Monterey College of Law with no outstanding debt. I'm working as an investigator for the San Mateo County Private Defender's Office, performing indigent defense investigations. For more information, call us today at 582-4000. That's 582-4000. Or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. That's montereylaw.edu. If you are a small business owner, you're subject to many of the same laws and regulations that apply to large corporations. Where do you go for help? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. SBA.gov is the website published by the Small Business Administration. It provides a wealth of information for small business owners, including employment and labor law, intellectual property law, online business laws and regulations, environmental regulations, workplace safety, and foreign worker eligibility. Of course, SBA.gov is not a replacement for having your own business attorney, but it is a free resource that may help you realize when you need to consult an attorney. SBA.gov. Have you thought about a law degree? 
Did you know you can attend an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo? And you can begin classes in May or in August. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions of San Luis Obispo College of Law. San Luis Obispo College of Law is a branch of Monterey College of Law, an accredited law school established 44 years ago. At San Luis Obispo College of Law, we have convenient evening classes, Mondays through Thursdays from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. We have a tuition rate guarantee program that freezes your tuition rate when you begin and protects you from annual tuition increases. We also have payment programs that allow you to make monthly payments or apply for private student loans. At San Luis Obispo College of Law, our faculty is composed of highly esteemed local lawyers and judges. If you've been thinking about a law degree, find out now if San Luis Obispo College of Law is your law school. Attend one of our information sessions and get answers to your questions. Or call me, Wendy Law Revere, at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org. That's slolaw.org. It is one thing to argue with your friends at the bar, but have you ever wondered what it would be like to argue in front of the United States Supreme Court? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. Oye.org, spelled O-Y-E-Z dot O-R-G, is a website published by the Free Law Project at Chicago Kent School of Law. You can go to Oye.org and listen to 60 years of actual oral arguments at the United States Supreme Court. Written summaries are provided for cases that go all the way back to 1789. OEA.org also provides biographical information on every United States Supreme Court justice and offers an online tour of the Supreme Court building. Go to OEA.org to see if you have what it takes to present a winning argument. Welcome back. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. This is Mitchell Winnick, President and Dean of Monterey College of Law and San Luis Obispo College of Law, and my co-host Stephen Wagner, attorney and law professor. And our guest today is Kathleen Reagan, and we're talking about equine law. Now, Kathleen, just before we went out on the break, you were just about to explain how you can own shares in a horse. And I, I guess, you know, my question is, do I get to pick which part of the horse my share represents? <laughs> Because I know which part of the horse some people might suggest I should own. (laughs) I see plenty of those walking into the courtroom myself. All right. We better let that one go for a while. We we could get completely off track on that one. Before we know it, the FCC will be back on top of us. Uh, So anyway, so percent of a horse. I mean, you're really treating it. I mean, this is a complex business transaction now. That's, uh, that, go ahead, Stephen. Sorry. No, no, I, I was waiting on you, actually, Kathleen. Um, yeah, it is a pretty complex transaction. Basically, the the buying into the uh, syndicate allows you uh, essentially to show up at the in the winner's circle and get a photo. Um, you also pay uh, part of the horse's bill every year. Um, at, you know, the ongoing expenses of the horse. And uh, there may, in fact, be some payout of some small amount of money uh, that the horse has won if it's, a, if it's a winning horse. 
So let me, let me, I mean, now you started out with there's a lot of the expenses up front. And yep. then you ended up with there's a very small percentage of the payout. So there must be something else going on in this business that, that then gives you more money. Other than just standing in the winner's circle with a funny hat. Well, I, I would have to say that what these uh, deals sell is the dream ah. uh, that your horse will win. And, you know, it is not out of the realm of possibility. I believe there was a, there was a horse recently uh, in the, at the Kentucky Derby by the name of, what was it, Funny Side, that had maybe 120 owners that they showed up in a couple <laughs> of big buses. <laughs> And then so, I assume that there's, and if they win and it's a male, there's stud fees that go, that, that, isn't that some of the most, that, that becomes the more valuable aspect of your ownership interest, I assume. Yeah, I mean, uh, it is not out of the realm of possibility, again, that, uh, you know, one of your horses could turn out to be uh, the horse. You know, American Pharaoh, when he was, uh, when he started his historic run, I, I don't think anybody, I don't think any would have anybody would have predicted that he would have become a triple crown winner. Um, Pioneer of the Nile, his sire was certainly well regarded, but not not in, among the top top rank of K- Kentucky stallions. So you just never know. Lightning can strike. So it sounds like your clients can be anywhere from kind of just your mom and pop. Uh, owner of a horse who's trying to buy a horse. There's a contract for buying and selling. Uh, it could be a, a small operation in which they are doing horse rides for uh, individuals who are on vacation. And at the other end of the spectrum, it could be fairly complex business transactions that actually have have share interests and multiple partners. That's right. There is, uh, it's a wide range of uh, legal practice, let's put it that way. <laughs> you know, Kathleen, I was looking at your bio and I was checking out the section where you define the overlap between horse riding or horse ownership and accidents. And there's a reference in there to accident reconstruction. And that caught my eye. I spent a lot of time as a prosecutor prosecuting vehicular homicide cases and dealt quite closely with the issue of collision reconstruction. And I'm wondering, how do you find, have you been involved in matters where you've actually had to reconstruct an accident involving a, a horse and a rider? Most of these cases settle out. So the short answer is not yet. Uh, but I did a fair amount of that accident reconstruction uh, practice as a prosecutor as well, and we, I certainly have a couple of cases on deck right now that um, certainly if we end up going to trial, I may reconstruct them. Yes, I was wondering, you know, because in the horse racing industry, if there's something that would cause an inquiry in a race, a steward, would, would make a call and make a decision as to whether there was jockey interference or something like that. In the private sector, I, I, I got to believe that there is a, a need for expert testimony in certain instances to do reconstruction work, right? There certainly is, and there's a whole number of folks out there that do make a living testifying as horse experts. So it, it is... 
you know, they're not quite as expensive as doctors, but uh, it is it is a uh, recognized uh, employment. I, I, and then how about that? that must be a great sorry. that must be a great business card to hand out at a bar. <laughs> and what do you do? I'm a horse expert. Yeah, right. Next. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. So another question I had, Kathleen, relating to, uh, this is really a horse racing industry question. And, and I'm curious about how closely governed uh, other states, other than California. Do you have any experience in that? And, like, like we have the California Horse Racing Board. What are other states like in, in that industry? Do you know? Uh, yeah, actually, I have a fair amount of experience in that area as well because um, in most states, horse racing uh, runs hand-in-hand hand with gambling. Right, yeah. So highly regulated. Casinos, highly, highly, highly regulated. So, um, yeah, there's it, it, it's... It's an amazing intersection of state regulatory authority and uh, the equine industry. So, for example, uh, last month, three weeks ago, I was a panel speaker at the Albany Racing, Gaming, and Equine Law Seminar where you had, I don't know, maybe 200 people in a room all discussing you know the New York thoroughbred racing industry. In fact, I, I also saw that you know you teach at Albany Law School, and that Albany Law School, or at least the uh, the university, has a a horse racing concentration. I mean, that's they do. Uh, they that's have kind of amazing. Gaming. Yeah, and that's that focuses on the gaming side of that. Both, they, it, it's a concentration in racing and gaming because it often goes hand in hand. Like I said. So, tell, so uh, we're coming up on, a, on our last break here, but there, there must be just amazing stories that, that you've had to deal with in, in this your long career in horse law. Uh, without giving away any client confidentiality, uh, you know, pick, out, pick out one that would be very curious or sticks in your mind. That you said the minute you were in it, you went, did I go to law school for this? <laughs> Um, uh, all right, this, this, this one is pretty funny. All right, this actually happened. Um, so when horse owners don't pay the bill, the board bill, most states have a procedure where you can go in and seize the animal and seize uh, all of the tack and the furniture and everything related to the animal and sell it to pay back the board bill, Right. Uh, and so I had a case where that I was doing that I was seizing uh, f- furniture related to the animal, and also a luxurious horse trailer that was parked on the property. This was one of these live-in quarter living quarter horse uh, trailers that. So they travel with the horse, and they live live, live with the horse. <laughs> yeah, they're quite luxurious, very very valuable. Oh, you know, over a hundred thousand um, dollars. And so when I went to court, I was most surprised to see a loan shark with his leg breaker in court. That was Guido. That was Guido from the earlier case. <laughs> and as Wait, it now, happened, Guido was a lawyer. Take it easy. Oh, okay. 
All right. We won't, we won't go into the leg breaker, lawyer, Guido. Okay, we'll leave all that alone. <laughs> well, I, the, the loan shark had some paper on the trailer, and uh, I pointed out that my paper was superior to his paper. And so we looked at the paper, and we agreed that my... My uh, my lien had priority. <laughs> wow, good for you, Kathleen. So you had to duke it out with a loan shark. That's a good story. Well, Kathleen I, one, loan shark zero. Duke, I did not. I just said, "Are you really a loan shark?" This is after court, and he goes, "We prefer to think of it as alternative financing." <laughs> well, let's go into this last break here. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. We're talking today about equine law. Kathleen Reagan is our guest today. We'll continue talking about this subject as soon as we come back. Don't go away. Making a change in career is a serious decision that affects both you and your family. You have many questions that need to be answered before you can make a commitment. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true. And it's affordable. But don't take it from me. Hear what recent graduate Dan Cullum says. Before I was entering law school, I was an airline pilot. After I retired, I decided that I would go to law school. Monterey College of Law was the avenue to fulfill that desire. I loved Monterey College of Law. It was small classes. The professors were very helpful, personal. You could talk to them. Tuition is not exorbitant at Monterey College of Law, which is the opposite of the way it is at other places. It's affordable. They have a, a program at Monterey College of Law that lets you pay as you go, so it's financially possible. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000 or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. Long before Woody's cruised Beach Street, kids and teens have needed to know that they are important and that they belong. Since 1969, the Boys and Girls Club of Santa Cruz has provided a place where potential is released and great futures are forged. Help celebrate our 45th anniversary by emailing your club memories and pictures to celebrate 45 years at boysandgirlsclub.info or call 423-3138, extension 23. We are also excited to announce that Monterey College of Law is providing one full tuition law school scholarship each year to a former Boys and Girls Club participant. Contact Executive Director Bob Langseth at 423-3138, extension 21, or email bob at boysandgirlsclub.info to learn more about this exciting opportunity. Consumer scams, fraud, deceptive business practices. Where do you go for protection? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. FTC.gov is the website published by the Federal Trade Commission. As the nation's consumer protection agency, the FTC wants to know about businesses that cheat people out of money. If you've been the victim of consumer fraud, you should file a complaint at FTC.gov. Although the FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection will not help you recover your individual damages, your complaint may initiate an investigation that results in companies or individuals being sued by the government for fraud, 
deceptive practices, or unfair business practices. If you want more information about how to protect yourself as a consumer, go to the Bureau of Consumer Protection at ftc.gov. Are you ready to start law school now? If you've just graduated from college or are thinking of changing your career, now is the time to take that first step. Slow College of Law is accepting applications for May 2016. San Luis Obispo College of Law is an accredited branch of the Monterey College of Law School founded 43 years ago. You can get a law degree from an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo. Their highly esteemed faculty is comprised of local judges and lawyers. San Luis Obispo College of Law classes are held conveniently in the evenings and the campus is conveniently located in downtown San Luis Obispo. Let the professionals show you how to make becoming a lawyer a reality. Make today the first step in changing your life. Attend an information session and get answers to your questions. Call Dean of Admissions Wendy Law Revere at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org for more information. That's slowlaw.org. The U.S. Constitution has recently created national headlines in the debate about filling the vacancy created by the sudden death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. The President and certain members of Congress are at odds about what the Constitution requires when there's a vacancy on the Supreme Court. Who is right? And how can everyday citizens be informed enough to know the answer? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. ConstitutionCenter.org is a website published by the National Constitution Center. The center was established by Congress to provide information about the United States Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. If you want information about the Constitution's history and what it means today, go to ConstitutionCenter.org and form your own opinion about the law. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. Today we're talking about equine law, and our guest is Kathleen Reagan, an attorney and a specialist in the area of all things horse law. Kathleen, if if horses were cars and a bad horse was purchased, you would look to something when most states call a, a lemon law, right? I, is there anything like that in buying and selling of horses? Because uh, I would assume many purchasers are not that expert in a horse. So what, what happens if you buy a horse, as you said earlier, for a certain purpose and they turn up to be lame or unhealthy or injured and had it hidden or something like that? Well, in horse deals, uh, the historically and traditionally, the phrase caveat emptor applied. It's not that way any longer because of the passing of the Uniform Commercial Code, but there is a substantial bias in the law for those who purchase horses to do their due diligence before uh, before purchasing. And most horse sellers will insist on the phrase as is to be included. So I guess what I would say to you is uh, if you're going to purchase a horse, you better find someone to help you who knows what they're doing. But I, and I would assume that 
you know, if there was active fraud, like any other transaction, if somebody uh, made some effort to hide it, to mask it, uh, or uh, you know went extra steps, you at least could make a claim of, of fraud under under just a normal transaction. It's very difficult to prove, Mitch. Ah, okay. So, Kathleen, I have on the list a couple of questions that uh, one one is uh, the medical malpractice issue. Do you ever deal with that issue in, in terms of bad acting vets or negligence on the part of vets who specialize in All operating on horses? You do, yeah. So, Absolutely. what kind of I, I gotta I gotta imagine that's a really interesting area of law. Yeah, you talk about a hybrid uh, kind of law. It's the, the veterinarians are doctors, and many of the rules and regulations that surround them are similar to that for people doctors. But because they practice on chattel property, as you noticed in the beginning, there's uh, there's a, a weird form of hybrid law and statute that applies to veterinarians. So, for example, in California. A veterinarian uh, who injures a horse, you've only got a year to file your uh, malpractice suit. So it's not like... Wow, that's interesting. So shorter statute of limitations. Yep, because it's property, not personal injury or death. So, so oh, Stephen, did you have a, I had one. I have one random question. So, I'll, uh, you did you have another one? My, my other more serious law. <laughs> yeah, well, no. My other my other question related to the insurance industry. Ah, okay. Because I know, especially when you're talking about high priced racehorses, the insurance issue or insurance law re- rears its head. Excuse the um, <laughs> bad pun. <laughs> Uh, um, absolutely. There, there is a whole unique industry surrounding equine insurance from a mortality to major medical to stallion fertility to mare lease to, uh, you know, uh, just a, 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 an amazing kinds of insurance. You wouldn't e- never have thought that this kind of insurance existed, but it does. Well, that's a now that is definitely a niche. So, so Kathleen, let me ask you before we get to the very end here. I did notice that you list Second Amendment and firearms litigation as part of your area of expertise, in addition to equine law. So it just it just struck me that yeah, you know, are we dealing here with horses and horse thievery? Is that the is that the concern? <laughs> <laughs> it just gave me images of rustling, horse rustling, and so we got to have Second Amendment issues along with the horses. It just, just that's the vision I had in my mind. <laughs> well, it is Massachusetts, you, you know, so. Uh, so maybe it'd be different in Texas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, actually, there is a fair amount of horse rustling. Believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Kathleen, I also saw that you have family law as an area of practice. Uh, I have to believe that you've been experienced and had experience with, with uh, disillusion cases or divorce cases where there's horses involved as assets, right? Absolutely. Yep. The breakup of large uh, estates is a good way to think about it. So, Kathleen, I see that you teach equine law as we wrap this up. What? What? How? Is that? Is that a a popular class? I mean, it wouldn't be something we could probably pull off at our law school, but tell us a little about teaching equine law. Who signs up for that? 
everybody. It's one of the most popular <laughs> electives in the in the school. Now, do uh, they know what it is when they sign up, or they think, "Oh, well, how hard could that be? What would the test be?" <laughs> yeah, not at all. In fact, you don't have to know anything about horses to take the class at all. It's it's purely a legal, you know, a legal uh, endeavor. So I get a lot of a lot of students who don't know anything about horses. I do get a fair number of folks who are in the industry and who take it to apply it to their uh, to what they're doing. So what do you think, Stephen? You want to add equine law to our roster of classes in San Luis Obispo? Uh, there's plenty. Uh, I bet there's a there's a niche for it. I'll tell you one that's all audit the course if you send me out to all of it. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be good. So as we wrap up here, Kathleen, I see that you've got a website of on quarryhorse.com. Tell us a little about that and why would somebody why would they go there for that information? Um, that's a business venture that I started with uh, a partner, and it's it, it started as a search engine, and it got it search engine got too uh, difficult, so we shut that part down. But now we just put up articles and things of interest uh, to uh, folks in the industry. So it's more of an industry resource nowadays. And so it's Q U E R Y Horse dot www.queryhorse.com if folks are interested. And and tell us about your, give us your, would you like to give your uh, website out for your practice in case somebody now has a follow-up horse question? Yeah, it's uh, actually if you Google uh, equine lawyer, I'm, I'll, I'll come up. It's www.kathleenreaganlaw.com. Great. Thank you, Kathleen. It's been a pleasure having you on today. Thanks for being our guest. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Kathleen. you very much. All right, Great well, Stephen, Stephen, we have a, had another fascinating week. As always, we want to remind folks that you can hear a replay of today's show at www.voiceamerica.com, at wagnerandwinnick.com. And as we warn and warn, as we warn and alert everyone at the end of every show, if you don't know the law, know a lawyer. following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.